Amen. We're going to read uh, tonight as we continue our series in unity. Uh, we're going to read Psalm 133. So if you could turn your Bibles there. Psalm 133, verse 1, we're going to read that, and then we're going to pray. We're going to believe that God's going to continue to have his way, because he's already doing it. I believe he's already doing the work. He already started uh, the, the moment that you made a decision to come and worship him, the moment that you stepped in here uh, to worship. I believe God is already doing something. So we're going to pray that he continues uh, to do that tonight. So Psalm 133, verse 1, the Bible says this. It says, how wonderful... And pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Praise God. One more time, I'll read that. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Thank you, Jesus. Let's bow our heads as we pray. Father, we're so grateful, my God, this evening for everything that you've been doing through this series, God. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us about unity, Lord. And I pray that you would continue to help us, that tonight, Lord, you would bring revelation Father, that we would walk out of here different, that we would understand the importance of unity, Father God, and how important you hold it, my God. I pray that you would help us, that you would teach us, Lord. Soften our hearts, that our ears be open to your Holy Spirit to teach us anything that you want to teach us tonight, Father God. And Lord, we just submit to you, and we believe in you, God, to have your way for the rest of the service. We thank you. We ask in Jesus' name. We all say... Amen. Praise God. So we've been going through this series uh, entitled Unity. Unity is so important to the Lord. It's, it's such an important topic, and we have to get the sense and understand how important unity is to the Lord. We, we learned uh, this month that unity is the only way. That's what we opened up with. Uh, we learned about pest control, how th uh, things that, that hinder unity. One, one of the big things is gossip. Pastor Dan tackled that topic. Pastor Jose last week uh, talked about conflict and how that can destroy unity when not handled right. Now the Bible says how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Wonderful and pleasant. Doesn't that sound good? That's, what, that's how life is. That's how relationships are when there is harmony, when there is unity. That is how the family unit is when there is harmony, when there is unity. It is wonderful and pleasant. When there's right relationship between us and our Heavenly Father, it's wonderful and pleasant. Unity is such a beautiful thing. But sometimes it could be so, so rare in the family unit, in, 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 the, in, in certain homes. It could be something that's rare, but God wants it to be commonplace in our lives as, as believers. Secondly, I believe it's so powerful, and it's, it's called wonderful and pleasant because unity is a represent, representation of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, always working in unity. You know, we look back in the very beginning in Genesis you know, when the Lord created everything, it opens up. It says how, how God created light, and it says the Spirit hovered over the waters. That Everyone was involved there. When, when God created humans, he says, let us create man in our image. He, he used the, the plural form of that word, let us. So there's unity from the very beginning. I think of the beautiful story of, of the Garden of Eden, of Adam and Eve, the very beginning, as we go back to the beginning of all things. God was there in unity with, with mankind, beautiful relationship, no interference, no sin, no death, no nothing. There was just pure relationship between 
our heavenly father between God and mankind, Adam and Eve. But how many know when God is doing something great, when God is at work, when, when God is doing wonderful things, that we all have an enemy, and he's always there, he's always sniffing around, he's always trying to find ways to destroy the work of God. We see it, and we've seen it before. God creates something great, pure, holy, and the devil loves to just come and destroy, and try to destroy what God is doing. Adam and Eve never had experienced sickness or death. Everything was provided to them. Everything was given to them. It was beautiful. There was beautiful unity between them and their father. And the enemy desired to destroy what God created. And see, as we strive, not just this month, but always in our life, to, to attain unity, to strive after unity, we have to understand that the devil's always going to try to throw a monkey wrench in everything that God's doing. We have to keep our hearts clean. We have to be on guard all the time. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is unity there. And the reference of that scripture I mentioned is Genesis 1, 26, where the Lord said, Let us make man in our image. Again, talking about unity. Now, we talked a lot about unity this month. And we understand that it's something that we have to strive after, that we have to strive to achieve, but it's also something that we have to maintain. We have to keep it going. Couples in this place, marriages, how, how many know that's true? You, ha you have a good day, you have a good night out, right? Sometimes you can get into a conflict. Sometimes, you know, you could say the wrong thing and you have to work at maintaining unity because when you don't maintain unity, things aren't as good as they could be in relationships or at work or wherever it is. It's kind of like a, a new vehicle, right? You remember when you got your, your brand new car when there were no miles on it and, and it was clean and everything was perfect. You didn't have a, a care or thought about any mechanical issues. Why? Because it was brand new. It was perfect. You would wash your car every day. You would, you would take care of it. You would take pictures with it. You would take selfies in front of it. It was the newest and best thing that you had, right? But how many know as time goes on, as the years pass, right? At one time, you were, you were on it about getting your oil changed, but, you know, you'll just put it off here and there, or now a light goes on. Oh, well, I'll keep driving it until I hear a noise or until it breaks down, right? As things change, as time goes on, sometimes our priorities change. And it's like that. See, but if you want your vehicle to keep running for many, many miles, you're going to have to maintain it. You're going to have to put in the money when, when that time comes. You're going to have to listen for things that are going wrong. When things are going wrong, you're going to have to jump on them and take care of them right away. Why? Because you're maintaining your vehicle. Why? Because you want it to last. And that's how it is with unity. We have to maintain unity. The scripture says how wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony. Now, we have to live together in harmony, living. It's a, it's a process. It's a state of mind. We have to allow God, through the wonderful work of his Holy Spirit, to teach us how to live in unity. And I'll tell you, you know, this, this applies to the, to the, between the four walls here of our church, in our church family. Yes, this applies here. But it, it goes everywhere. It applies everywhere of our lives. It applies 
starting off in our homes. God wants us to have unity in our homes, first and foremost. You know, your home's supposed to be a sanctuary, somewhere you could long to get to, maybe after a hard day's work, to rest. But how many know when there's not unity in the home, it's not a place sometimes that you want to run to? See, you're going to have to maintain unity. And how does that happen? As we let the Holy Spirit work in our lives, because it starts with us. It starts with us. You know, whenever there's an argument, there's two people. If you don't have two people arguing about something, it's not an argument, right? But sometimes we're just holding on, we're sticking to our guns, and we're holding on to our opinions, and we just let things prolong and go on and on and on, but we have to allow the Holy Spirit to teach us a new way of thinking, a new way of dealing with our relationships, a new way of living. Lord, Holy Spirit, teach me. The Bible says that we can be transformed, we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We all have an opinion, right? Oh, boy, do we. We got opinions about everything. And some of us, we won't back down, right? We won't back down in any way about our opinion. If we have an opinion about something, there's no way that we're going to back down. But sometimes the Holy Spirit will urge you, will whisper to you, just give, just give it up for a bit. Just be quiet. You know, many times that's, that's the best way to handle an argument. Sometimes, it's, sometimes that's the best thing to do. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Allow him to work. Again, this applies to, yes, our church, our church family, but to other, many areas as well. To work at school. Being in unity there at work. What kind of employee are you? What about the vision that your boss has? Are you constantly at odds against it? Are you trying to promote that there in your workplace? Maybe you're wondering why you're having so much conflict or dis discord there at work. Maybe you need to work on unity there at your job. With your neighbors, school, etc. The list goes on. So we have to live in unity. Now the Bible says in Romans 12, 18, it says, Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can. Man, that ministers to my life. You know, sometimes we'll put in 10, 20%, 30%, and then we just throw in the towel. And we say we tried. But the Bible tells us, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can. Everything that is in your power, do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Sometimes that means putting your opinion to the side. Sometimes it means not having that last word or not trying to win that argument or not trying to look right. The Bible says do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. As long as it's in your power and in your ability and my ability, do all that we can to live in peace with everyone. Now Romans chapter 12 I want to spend a, a little bit of time here, and this is where we're going to be looking at maintaining unity. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. You know, when you have a task list and you need to get things done, there's, there's something awesome about having a list uh, in front of you, of you, things that you can check off, things that you can go over. And, and I love this passage here. As we're going to jump off here in uh, Romans 12. We're going to start in verse 9. These are things that, 
if we apply to our lives, if we give ourselves to the Word of God and applying these things that we're going to talk about, I believe we're, we're going to be able to attain unity, that we're going to be able to maintain unity in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our homes. Now, Romans 12, verse 9. Let's start reading here. Let's go through this. The Bible says this. It says, don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Don't pretend. Really love them. Don't fake it. Really love them. Perhaps those that hurt you or those that have talked about you or those that have stabbed you in the back, really love them. What does the Bible tell us? To pray for them. Bless those that curse us, right? Now, your flesh doesn't want to do that. My flesh doesn't want to do that. But the Bible says that. See, the Bible teaches us, God's Word teaches us how to, how to live in unity with our fellow men and women. So don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. How many of us, if we're honest, if we know we're in the right and someone else is in the wrong, we just love to see those situations where we could tell someone, I told you so. I told you. You didn't listen to me. I told you. Right? It feels, there's something that feels good about that. It's, it's, it's carnal that where you want to see someone down and out just so that you and I can feel Right? Or perhaps you want to throw someone under the bus so that you can look right, that you and I can, can look more esteemed in the eyes of men and women. The Bible says, hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Don't give in to those sinful desires, those sinful urges that would cost you a relationship between your brother and sister. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Verse 10 Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Let it be what brings you joy in honoring someone else. Seeing someone else esteemed. Seeing someone else lifted up. Seeing someone else perhaps get that pat on the back that you've been wanting. Seeing them elevated because of their hard work. Let it bring you joy. Be happy and be glad for them. See, our carnal mind would say, no, if it's, if it's not us getting elevated, then I'm not going to be happy for anyone else because I deserve it, right? That's what the flesh says. But be happy for them. When someone at your job gets a promotion, congratulate them. Be happy for them. Because you understand that God has something in plan and place for you. And as you and I believe that, as we trust in that, we can be happy for our brothers and sisters. We could be happy for our coworkers. We could be happy when they excel. Delight in honoring each other, not tearing someone down. We can't give in to that desire because that'll bring discord. Envy jealousy, discord, division, that'll all breed that as we, as we strive to just elevate ourselves. But the Bible says in verse 10, love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. How about asking someone, what can I do for you? How can I serve you today? How can I make your experience better? 
You know, we come into church each and every service, and little do we know sometimes the, the battle that the person sitting next to you in the chair or the aisle in front or back of you face today. God knows what they had to go through here to get through these doors and come to the house of God. Perhaps your day was great, and I pray it was. I pray your day went well, everything went well, but can I tell you there may be some of our brothers and sisters in this place that are going through some things tonight. Maybe some health issues or, or through some trials and circumstances. And what can we do to make their visit here a little bit better? How about a smile? How about asking them, how was your day? Or what can I pray with you about? What can I do to, to make your experience here a little bit better? How can I help make your day a little bit better? Thank you, Jesus. Take delight in honoring one another. Verse 11, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Never be lazy. You know what a lazy person does? They put it off till manana. They put it off till tomorrow. Right? And we're talking about unity, and this can apply to so many things. It could, so it could apply to, to, to menial tasks, tasks there at home, things that we have to do. But I've learned that we should never put off for tomorrow what we can do today. I was taught this many years ago. And you know what where this applies to? It applies in our relationships. If there is, there is something that is unseated and undone in the relationship that you have that needs to be fixed, don't put it off for tomorrow, brother and sister. While it is in your power, while today is called today, fix that. If it's, if it's just an apology or if it's just a, a, a helping hand or if it's anything that you could do to fix that situation, don't belabor it. Because we know that tomorrow's not promised to us, right? We've heard that before. But we have today and we have right now. And God gives us this ability to do that. He gives us today. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. We're talking about maintaining unity. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. Thank you, Jesus. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Amen. Practice hospitality. Be willing to give. Be willing to meet the need. Be willing to make someone's day go a little bit easier. You know, I thank God for those in ministry today that are at their posts, whether it be our, our, our wonderful ushers that are there standing at their post, whether it be the, the uh, Impact uh, Girls Ministry or the Royal Rangers Commanders or, or the wonderful nursery workers who are wa watching our children or the media team who's helping, uh, you know, helping out today and the lighting and all these people, right? Because they're at their post, we're able to enjoy what God's doing here. And I think back, the, the, the first time that I stepped foot into a church, I was 14 years old. And this was way, this was way back, I, and I remember, I still remember like it was yesterday. I was 14, and I had a desire to serve God, and, and I, had, uh, I was in touch with a brother, and this was before texting, right? That tells you a little bit how old I am. It was before texting, and I had moved to another city. I actually moved to, to Palm Springs, and, and he gave me the address on a letter, right? He sent me a letter and said, hey, here's Pastor Sergio's address if, if you want to go to church. Call him up. He gave me his, the address of the church. He gave me his phone number. And I made a decision that day that I wanted to keep serving God. So, so I called up Pastor Sergio. 
And I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm serving God, and I, I got saved in this fellowship, but I, I, I moved here to, to Palm Springs, and, and I wanted to come to church. And, and through things transpiring, there was someone that had recently got saved that lived about two blocks away from where I lived, from where I moved. And this was about probably a, a 20 to 30 minute drive from where the church was. So God was already working it out. And see, I think about that, that, that brother that cared enough. Here was a young boy, a 14-year-old boy that had a desire to serve God, to, to see what God had for him, to live for God. And he cared enough to keep in touch. He cared enough to, to give me that, that address. So I went. And I remember my mom dropped me off there in the front of the church. And where the church was, there was the church. There was New Harvest, right? But there was another church that was kind of a couple. It was all one building, but it was a couple doors away. And as I got out, I started to walk towards the other church, right? I was walking in the wrong direction, right? And, and I remember there was this young man. He was there, and uh, he was there in his car, and he was, hey, where are you going? And I said, I'm looking for New Harvest. He said, hey, it's over here. You know, so he brought me back, right? So there was someone there in the parking lot to, to steer me in the right direction. I remember walking into the door. And again, young teenagers just stepping into church just by, just by myself. And right when I walked in, you know who I was greeted with? A brother, an usher that was there at his post, greeted me with a smile, welcomed me, gave me a handshake, and right away introduced me to other people there in the church. And you know how important that made me feel? And I'll tell you what, I don't know if that person to this day would remember that experience, but I remember that experience. Why? Because someone was at their post. Someone was at their post. Just being faithful. Never underestimate how powerful it is when you're at your post, where God has you. And I can't tell you what kind of day that brother had before, but I tell you what, he knew the Lord enough to be able to smile and welcome me with a handshake. And he esteemed me enough to introduce me to other people there. And the rest is history. Here we are today, right? I know we all have a story. Thank you, Jesus. But because someone was at their post, so I encourage you. See the importance of being faithful to what God's given you to do, where God's called you. It may be an unseen ministry. Thank you, Jesus, for that. You get all the honor and glory for Jesus for that one. Right? As you serve God in secret, he's going to reward you openly, the Bible says. In verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Again, we're going off our checklist right here. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. This will help us, church, ensure unity in our lives, in our ministry, in our church, in our homes. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Isn't that powerful tonight? My goodness, what a convicting scripture. The Bible says that offenses will come. And see, when offenses come and they're not handled correctly, they're not given to God where forgiveness hasn't taken place, what happens? It causes discord. It destroys unity. It destroys relationships. Relationships, it's a gift from God. The relationships that we have with one another, with our loved ones, the devil loves to just drop seeds of discord. He loves to just destroy. 
He loves to divide. He loves to bring discord in, in, in homes, in families. He loves to bring discord. Why? Because he knows how powerful a family that's in unity can be. He knows how powerful that a church that is in unity can be. He's afraid of it, so he tries to bring discord each and every opportunity he gets. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Perhaps you feel backstabbed in this place. Perhaps you were offended. Understand that the Lord knows exactly how you're feeling. He's experienced it. He was backstabbed. The ones that he thought would, would not flee from him and not, he thought they'd be with them to the very end. Everyone departed, everyone fled. He was there alone. He understands what it is to feel betrayed. He understands what it feels like to, to do good to people and to do good to humanity and to be mistaken, to be mis misjudged. He understands exactly how that feels. But how many of us in relationships, right, one offense comes, and I'm, I'm not making light of offenses. I, I know they're hurtful. I know things hurt. We, we, relationships, people that we love, but when we're hurt, when we're backstabbed, it hurts. I understand that. But imagine if Jesus let it get the best of him. Imagine if his blessings turned into cursings and he cursed everyone that denied him. What would happen to, to Simon Peter? God used him so powerfully, to, to, as, as the Bible says, to build his church on, on him, calling him the rock. He forgave. He still believed. He still believed in Peter. He was betrayed. He was backstabbed, but he still loved enough to bless them. And church, if we could apply that in our relationships, I'll tell you what, that seed of discord is just going to bounce off. Because the enemy, when the enemy, what the enemy wants to do when we're offended, he wants us to curse other people. He wants us to throw them under the bus, to gossip about them, to speak against them, to put them down, to belittle them. But God says, bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Verse 15, be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. You know what that's talking about, church? It's talking about empathy. It's talking about empathizing with, with others. When they are rejoicing, rejoice with them. When they're crying, weep with them. Have a heart for them. It means that we look beyond ourselves. We look beyond our own situations, our own hardships. When we start to esteem others and we look out for the good and the well-being of others, something powerful takes place in our own lives. You know what happens? We put our own feelings, we put our own selves on the shelf for a little bit, right? And we forget about ourselves. And God knows we have issues, we have problems, but there's something powerful that takes place when you and I will take everything that we're going through, all of our hurts, all of our trials, or our, our whatever we're going through, and we put it on the shelf for a moment, and we consider someone else, and we try to make their day better. We try to pray for them and encourage them and, and see how they can be blessed and how they can excel in their life. And whatever they're going through, we try. And I'll tell you, something spiritual transpires when, hap when that happens. I'll tell you what God does. God begins to, to get involved 
in a new dimension in your situations, in my, in my problems, in my trials, in my situations. Why? Because I'm humbling myself. I'm putting myself second, and I'm making his people my business and my priority. And as we do that, God will move powerfully in your trials and in your situations. Philippians 2.3, the Bible says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. We're talking about maintaining unity tonight. This will help us maintain unity. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. And in verse 16, live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Thank you, Jesus. Don't think you know it all. We have a lot to learn tonight. If we can, turn our Bibles to Genesis chapter 13. We're going to read in verse 8 in just a moment, but let me give you the setting here. This was a story between Abraham. We know Abraham in Genesis. The promise came through Abraham. He was a powerful man of God, and he was obedient, right? So we have Abraham, and we have his nephew Lot. And in this passage, they, they were beginning to be blessed. Their herds and their, their uh, just all of their riches were, were continuing to, to multiply, and the land that they were living in was starting to get too small for them. So you had Abraham. He was being blessed, and God was bringing multiplication with everything that he had. And, and here was Lot, his nephew, the same thing. God was multiplying and bless, blessing him as well. And the land began to get too small for them, and it began to cause some conflict. And Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen, they began to get into some conflict. So Abraham approached Lot, and here's what he said in verse 8, Genesis 13, 8. Listen to Abraham's heart here. Finally, Abram said to Lot, let's not allow this conflict to come between us or our herdsmen. After all, we are close relatives. So the whole countryside is open to you. Take your choice of any section of the land you want and we'll separate. If you want the land to the left, then I'll take the land to the right. If you prefer the land on the right, then I'll go to the left. So humble of Abraham here. One, he was, he was Lot's uncle. He was an elder, right? So I think he had it, and he could have said, hey, I'm, I'm your uncle, so I'm going to take my pick, and you're going to take, you know, second place here, right? But he didn't do that. He esteemed Lot, and he, he desired unity and desired peace in the family, and he said that, after all, we are close relatives. So he gave this option to Lot. And in verse 10, the Bible says, Lot took a long look at the fertile plains of the Jordan Valley in the direction of Zoar. The whole area was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord or the beautiful land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So what did Lot do? Did Lot say, hey, uncle, uh, you know, this, this place looks better. You know, that, that land looks better. So because you're my uncle, I'm going to esteem you. And I'm going to go ahead and give you that, and I'll take second best. But what happens in verse 11? Lot chose for himself the whole Jordan Valley to the east of them. He went there with his flocks and servants and parted company with his uncle Abram. So Abram settled in the land of Canaan, and Lot moved his tents to a place near Sodom and settled among the cities of the plain. And we understand the story from Bible school about Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot 
really, although things seemed apparently better, it was a worse situation. But what does this show us, church, believer? That Abraham desired to maintain unity in his family so much that he put himself second. He put himself second. He gave Lot the opportunity to take first, first pick, and he picked the, better, the apparently better land. And see, this is a heart that we have to have when it comes to maintaining unity. But understand, just with Abraham, as it, as it happened with Abraham, he didn't get second best. God blessed him above and beyond. And God honors a decision that you make as you try to promote peace and unity in your home, in your ministry, in your church, at your job, wherever it's at. As you work to apply and institute unity and, and you place it as priority, God is going to bless your land. He's going to multiply what you have. He's going to multiply what you have so that your needs can be met. He's going to bless whatever you do have so that it's prolonged and that it lasts. God is going to bless you. That's a word for someone tonight. If you would promote and see unity is so important that you would put yourself second, God is going to move supernaturally in your situation and in your life. So we talked about maintaining unity. And I want to close here as we wind this down into active unity. And this is the aspect of being hospitable. Now we look in Hebrews 13, verse 1 and 2. The Bible says, Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. For some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Always be hospitable. Someone that's hospitable, they're asking themselves, how can I meet that need? What can I do? It may be the smallest thing, but it makes a world of difference in someone's life. Someone that is hospitable will put someone needs, someone's needs before their own to make their visit or their stay or their experience a little bit better. They'll put themselves second. They'll forget about their own situations and trials for a moment, and they'll esteem others to put, themse put themselves second. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. We also have to think of how we need to include others in our lives. You know, when I think back, and again, I remember it like it was yesterday because it made an impact on my life. As I walked in to the church doors there, someone was there to greet me. And it didn't stop there. They introduced me to other people. And can I tell you, as serving God as a young man there, as a young teenager, I had so many people taking me under their wing. I never felt left out. I never felt forgotten about. Why? Because people had a heart to see souls saved, to see lives changed. I thank God that there were people there that, that saw this life of a young boy that just had a desire to serve God. Cared enough. Say, how, how could we include them? What can we do? And I'll tell you what, I didn't live so close to church, but people would pick me up. There would be late nights, late church services, or Saturday nights after a long outreach of going out of town and returning back. I saw the weariness. I saw how tired people were, but they, they cared enough to drive me all the way home further from where they lived. 
Why? Because they cared enough. So I want you to ask yourself tonight, what can I do to help promote unity in my church, in my family, at my job, at my school? How can I be more inclusive? How can I esteem others and, and let them feel a part of what God is doing? Bring them into the sheepfold. Bring them into the family of God. You see someone standing, standing alone, go and strike up a conversation. Ask them what their name is. Ask them how their day was. Make them feel a part of what God's doing because I'll tell you what, God values them so much that he brought them here to the house of God. Let us always have those eyes to see others and how we can make their lives a little bit better. Bridge the gap. I want to close here with 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and the worship team can make their way up. You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 through 20, talks about the ministry of reconciliation. And it talks about the responsibility that you and I have, the blessed honor that we have to introduce other people to God. The Bible says here, 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20, it says, And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. Now listen to this. This is powerful. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing when we're promoting unity, when we're trying to include others. We're leading them to Christ. See, because I could be a nice guy and I could, I could strike up a conversation, but ultimately I want... I want others to know Christ as I know Christ. Because I don't have the power to save someone's soul. I don't have the power to spiritually deliver some, uh, to deliver someone, but I know who does. As I bring them to God, God's going to be able to do that work. And that's the ministry that we have, church. The ministry of reconciliation, bringing others to Christ. So that he could be and they could be in unity with him. And we understand the power that there is when we have a relationship with our loving Father, right? There's eternal life. There's life in abundance. There's manifold blessings. We go to our Father when we're hurting, when we need direction, when we need help. Unity is a powerful thing. So this evening, we understand through this series, as we close this series, that we have to live in unity. But unity is something that has to be maintained, and we have to put in the work for it. Sometimes it's not going to feel easy. It's not the thing that you're going to feel like doing, but it's the right thing to do. That may take the form of an apology it may take the form of humility 
It may take the form of saying, I'm sorry, when you feel that you weren't in the wrong. But knowing that that sorry can mend a relationship, that it can bring unity in a home, in a family, in a workplace, in a church, in a ministry. So church, as you and I humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, we understand what the Bible tells us. That he'll lift us up. But it starts with humility and it starts with unity. Thank you, Jesus. You received that tonight, church? Thank you, Jesus. Let's give God praise in this place. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word tonight, my God. Thank you, God, for your blessed word. Hallelujah. Let's bow our heads this evening as we prepare to pray. This whole month has been focusing on unity. And we can talk about unity because our Heavenly Father took the first step. And He desired to have a beautiful relationship with His sons and His daughters. He understood the sacrifice that would be needed for that to take place. And that was the death of His Son, Jesus. To die for us for our sins as, so that we can have a beautiful relationship with him, our Heavenly Father. When at one time sin was separating us, Jesus came to die, and because we received that beautiful gift of salvation, we now have that loving relationship. And if there's anyone here tonight, as every head is bowed and every eye is closed,